Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to the Obelisk. How's everybody doing tonight? How are you doing, Nish? Excellent, Jerry. It's full moon in Taurus, so the Taurus sun. This is this is good. Very much so. I sh I'm looking right at the full moon, and I'm thinking, damn, I should have pointed my camera at it. There is nothing to be seen out here in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Not even last night, this is funny, I'm walking the wolves and there was literally no glow behind the clouds. Uh, everywhere I, I was at several times and I, I couldn't even find like where the glow for the moon should be. That's so, crazy. Yeah, I keep hearing lots of woo around this kind of where's the moon kind of thing. It's like, where's Waldo almost these days? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a bright it's very bright. It's it was it's like twenty degrees outside right now, so Really? Yeah, it's really cold here. Good lord, that is cold in Georgia. Well, not for the high winter, but that's still really cold. It's cold here, but not twenty. Crazy cold. So who do yes. we have as our guest astrologer tonight? Well, I'm excited to announce that we have friend of the show, friend of many friends in these circles, Astro Luna Chick, Susan, and uh, formerly of New York, now California. Susan, come on in and give us a little information about yourself and then throw us into the month ahead, what we can expect. Hi. Yes. Can you hear me okay? Is this thing on? <laughs> yes, yeah, I know. Is this thing on? <laughs> Is Mercury working with now. us? Wait, are you a Dom Herrera fan? <laughs> a who? Uh, Dom a what? D Dom Herrera. He's a comedian. Oh. Um, That's his gag. Is this thing I don't know. on? Is this, Is, thing a, on? Is this thing on? Can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess so. That's pretty old school, right? <laughs> That's old school. And the fact that you're calling in is the way this sounds, sounds very Art Bellish, and you know that's a good thing. I love that whole early days of this kind of radio. So representing you and Tessa both calling in. Yeah. All right. Well, the Capricorn in me loves that. So, you know, traditional as we tend to be, but, um, so yeah. So when you say friend of the show, that's exactly how you would describe me. You know, I'm, I've been following you guys for quite some time and, you know, we have mutual friends out there in cyberspace. So we've crossed paths and, um, I, I love what you guys are doing. I think it's just amazing. I, I love the, the, Nox Mente, and I love hearing about people's dreams also, and just all the deep woo stuff that you guys get into. You always blow me away. So, yeah, I'm really very happy to be here and very uh, honored that you asked me. So, well, thank, yeah, thank so, you for coming on board. I, I really do appreciate it. And being our second astrologer, yay. Mm. Number two, that's fine with me. Oh. <laughs> I'd like to have somebody else come break it in first before I jump into the saddle. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Dan had to you break know. it in last week. It's all, you know, with new shows too. We're just getting our footing, so. Sure. Yeah. Well, you guys sound like old pros to me. Anyway, um, 
so yeah, so I don't really have a bio. I'm out there. I'm doing my thing. I'm Astro Lunachick. Anywhere you find me, um, Facebook, Instagram. I'm on Twitter. What's Instagram? Um, I don't do a whole. Hmm? What's Instagram? Oh, Astro Lunachick. I'm Astro Lunachick everywhere. No, what is Instagram? I have a name. Never mind. <laughs> Jerry's got jokes. <laughs> Oh, is this oh, the one thing Jerry's Instagram? not on? But I'm. What on. is love? Yes. Wait, I thought you are Jerry. Yeah, I thought I'm, I found you. I'm on it, but I always tagged you. Just smartass. You're lurking oh, it, around, Jerry checking other people's lurking. stuff out. He, mm -hmm. you know, he's a former troll. I'm a quantum lurker, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Oh, he's a recovering troll. <laughs> I, I trolled David Icke today, so Ooh. eat your heart out. Well, that mad props for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm out here. I've been doing my thing. I've been an astrologer for ten years. I'm self-taught. I tell people I studied at Google U. Um, I got into it because I went down a rabbit hole and started seeing all kinds of astrological symbolism everywhere. And I grew up in a home where it was verboten. We were not allowed to look at occult things. Don't look over there. You'll get possessed. <laughs> and astrology was that, but you know, then you grow up and you make your own decisions. And I was doing my own research and I looked at astrology and I said, Oh, that looks tasty. So I uh, just took it upon myself to learn, and that's how it happened. And ten years later, here I am. Well, I check thing. you. I check out all of your astrology stuff, obviously, and I've asked you on. So, it's you've done a good job, and I hear you're obsessed anyway, checking by the hour. So, <laughs> oh my God, you're the well, real you know, deal. I, I well, I'm a Capricorn, and I have heavy Saturn and Capricorn in my chart, and. Saturn rules time and timing. So, um, and I've kind of had the luxury of being able to to just kind of sit in my environment, in my peaceful environment. And when I hear stuff start popping off or something happens, I'm looking at a chart and I'm saying, okay, what is that? What triggered that? What triggered that? So for me, that's how I learned my timing stuff so and timing is everything as they say indeed so. indeed and i also want to give you the props and respect i love self-taught people uh it, you know there's there's a big drive there when you're a self-taught person in any any skill there's pat there's really hardcore passion not that there's not in traditional uh, other traditional routes but i do love a self-taught person so what do you have for mm. us, Susan? Well, darling, we're just coming off of the full moon, as you know. It was yesterday. Um, but those energies really amp up, you know, in the days before and and the days after. So it's a window, really. Um, and we're in that window. So and what I'm looking at, and I tend to focus mostly on Western astrology so i'm looking at the tropical placements um so we've got the full moon that was in taurus 
Okay, so we have the full the moon opposing the sun, Taurus opposing um, Scorpio. Oh my God, being fired! Ding 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 uh, ding! You win. Yeah, <laughs> it's being live. I'm live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So live radio. So Gatorade. What? Gatorade means so, Mercury, Mercury to Jerry. Mercury's and Gatorade. Yeah, I know. Mercury's messing with me. Cause it's because I'm looking at my notes. I should just flow, right? Okay, come back to Santa. All right, so we're looking at the polarity between the the Scorpio energy, where we started off with the new moon, because we're at the climax with the full moon here in Taurus, right? So. I kind of have to go back to what started at the new moon two weeks ago. And what did we have? We had the new moon on the 28th, right? And then right after that, Mercury went into retrograde and all hell broke loose. And all kinds of stuff started popping off, right? And if, you want, if you're looking at the news and you're looking at all kinds of scandals and uh, people coming forward with the Epstein thing and... It's all kinds of crazy stuff. So it was a huge buildup to this full moon right here where we're at right now. So what I like to do, because I'm self-taught and I look at it from a lot of different angles, I like to look at, I'm looking at the degree in Taurus, but I like to look at the stars that are behind it. And that's where you would find more of like the, the Vedic placements. You know, that's more of the sidereal stuff. So we're looking at the constellations. So although the full moon was at 20 degrees of Taurus, that's actually the stars in that on that degree are um, in the constellation of Aries. So the stars, the, the flavor of those stars are talking about barbarism and tribal raids and aggression because we're talking about Aries this is an Aries flavor and we're that we're we're talking about building empires and imperialism and administration of territories and then we're getting down to exploitation so it's the the idea of conquering and conquest and ownership of things and exploiting right and people and their energetic resources, people as a commodity and energy harvesting, right? So then on the opposite side, we've got the Scorpio um, energy and those stars at 20 degrees of, um, of Scorpio, that's actually in the scales of Libra. And the star that falls at that degree is Zubin El Shamali, which is the north scale of the scales of Libra, which is considered to be full price. And this star is associated with the Justice Tarot card, whereas the star that um, the full moon fell on, Botine, is associated with the Pope. So Kabbalistically, certain stars have their um, 
association with the tarot. So, I mean, what are we looking at here? You know, we could be looking at, and I, I don't know what's coming out in the news right now, but is there more scandals with the Catholic Church? Is there more stuff coming out? Probably, if it hasn't come out yet, it probably will. But we're looking at um, a balancing out of, of justice and looking at, um, for looking at the Scorpio energy, I mean, that's a lot of deep psychological underpinnings and, you know, people's repressed stuff. And one of the things that I also look at is the asteroids and um, the full moon is conjunct Morse Sumnus, which is a underworld god of sleep and death. And some of the stuff that that is that asteroid is associated with is repressed memories coming up whether it's past lives or things from this this life that you've repressed or genetic m memories, just messages from our soul of things that we're not consciously aware of. The other thing I thought was interesting was we have Vesta right here. So to me, that brings to mind the Vestal Virgins and the whole serving in the temple and all that. And, you know, they talk about the Vestal Virgins as, as being, you know, women that were not beholden to their fathers or a husband. They were free, but basically they were owned by Rome. So, you know, they were not free. And so, you know, they were basically being used also. So, again, that calls to mind all of this idea of you know lifetimes that we've all lived through and experienced these things of being used and our talents being used and our energy being used and exploited and a lot of stuff that's repressed and things that are coming up and I mean I think about you know the sex trafficking and all of that and and how that's being talked about right now so that's uh it's been a pretty deep full moon, I think. Many, many layers. Especially with that retrograde there, man. That's just digging up all the that's dredging the lake right there for all the dead bodies. You know, and, and all of the psychic debris of our of our own that needs to come out because things surface so that we can get them out and, and heal them. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's been a, it's definitely been quite a ride and I think it's you know I've marked until February we're just amping. Uh and this mm -hmm. for me I was born under a Mercury retrograde so I usually do I usually ride right through them. I love them. Slow down, mm -hmm. take take notice of the past stuff and all that. But this one's been a little yeah. rough on you know I I can honestly say it's been a, a strange one I have struggled. Mm -hmm with so many yeah. things where I'm like, all right, step back and breathe, you know, just trying to grab my hand in a drawer, trying to get a pen and the pen keeps moving further away. That you know, It's like <laughs> the stuff where you just want to blow your head off. It's like, I mean, yeah. I, I mean that sarcastically people sounds extreme. Yeah. What about coming? Yeah. What about from say now until at least the next two weeks or a month, are there any highlights that we should be aware of? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say, let's see, I like to break it up into where is the moon? Um, I like to work with the moon. So um, I think it's probably easiest just to look at like groups of days. 
um, also I like that three, six, nine, the way things build. Right. So, um, shout out to Tesla. Nice. Yeah. So if we're looking at the next couple of days, like today felt okay. You know, it kind of felt a little more stabilizing, a little more harmonious, not too bad. Um, the moon's in Gemini. So, and we're coming off of that full moon. So it just feels like an emotional processing, you know, of oh God, let me just digest everything that <laughs> might've been thrown at me the past week or so, really the past couple of weeks, but it this past week was kind of difficult. Um, yeah. So I would say tomorrow, watch out for tomorrow. Tomorrow is a really crunchy day. Um, the moon aspects are kind of not really all that harmonious. It's, the moon's making a hard aspect to Neptune and Venus. So it's not great for communication. It's not making a great aspect to mercury either so i would say watch out um if you have planets or anything in like mid um let's see gemini virgo sagittarius and pisces check yourself <laughs> stay home if you can i'm a big fan of that like if you don't have to do it just fucking don't do it oops sorry that's terry that that's tessa <laughs> that's tessa jerry and myself because <laughs> oh, tessa is a you know a gemini i'm gemini rising jerry's pisces okay <laughs> yeah well if you got oh, it like need, that we should duck and oh, she goes away somebody dropped out she muted herself did she go away oh did she go away I just made the comment and then and then muted. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, cool. Yeah. So really watch um if you have the mid anything at the mid degrees, you know, and give or take five degrees on either side of that. But if you know your chart, um, you'd be affected by that. Just I would say watch information coming to you, watch your money, watch anything around relationships, um, and, and don't freak out over some kind of news that you might get because it may not be accurate but like i wouldn't go ahead and do anything if you don't have to but just you know be cautious whatever cover your bases um so it doesn't really look too bad like the next couple of days today 14th 15th not too bad then the moon goes into cancer um and that could be a little bit of an adjusting energy um, difficulties, possibly with relationships. There's changes happening, and there's a lot of big changes happening in relationships of all kinds. Because I'm also looking at Juno. Juno just op opposed Chiron yesterday, and it's going to square the nodes. So there's a huge tipping point. I think people, and when I say relationships, I mean of all kinds, because nothing happens without other people. But I think people are just aligning more to, they're getting clearer on what they want and not really wanting to stay stuck in their old patterns. So people are falling away and relationships are changing and things need to be renegotiated. And this is a great time to do it for Mercury retrograde. They don't have to decide anything right now, but you could just 
maybe decide that it's not going to happen or it's not going to continue. And yeah, just make that decision. Even if you can't make that change right now. Uh, okay. So we're on the 17th to the 19th. We've got the moon in Leo. It's going to square Uranus. And anytime any the moon does anything with Uranus, we get another big jolt of change, which is kind of good because it feels like we're getting a little bit more momentum to move forward. But the moon is going to square um, the Mercury retrograde. So be careful on that day. Like just kind of double check things and just be careful with communications because people can be really sensitive and, you know, you can say things that you don't really want to come across that way. Um, okay, so then we got the 19th to the 21st, and that's when we have Mercury going direct. So that's November 20th, big day, put a star next to that day. Um, that's when it goes direct. And the day that it goes direct is usually a pretty powerful day. When it goes retrograde and it goes direct, that's when we we really do see a lot of evidence of of what's going on and how Mercury is functioning. And it'll give us clues to what we're going to be dealing with with that retrograde. Um, oh, and then we have uh, just before that on the 19th, we have Mars going into Scorpio. So that's another energy change right there. Mars has been in Libra and it's kind of like going along to get along. And that's the active um, masculine yang type energy. And, you know, trying to keep the peace in Libra, but once it gets into Scorpio, you know, then it's a little bit more comfortable and it doesn't mind singing a little bit and I would say the police are going to start acting weird when and when Mars is going through um Scorpio so yeah we could talk about that another time um so watch those two days uh let's say the moon is going to actually when the moon when Mercury goes direct the moon's going to sextile Mercury from Virgo so that's a stabilizing influence. So that's not a bad thing. It's not horrible. I don't think that that day is going to be terrible, but you'll notice a shift in energy. Um, the moon is making a trine to Uranus on that day. So that's really good. I mean, things things are changing and most of this change is happening internally. We've been processing it and that's what the Mercury retrograde is meant to do. Now when Mercury goes direct, then the changes start happening out externally and we can start working on things to make changes. So let's see. So after that, the moon is going into Libra. That's the 21st and the 20 to the 23rd. The sun is moving into Sagittarius at that time. So things are going to lighten up a little bit. That's a good thing. The moon is going to conjunct Juno. So Again, you know, we're looking at like, who are we going to partner with? Who are we going to go with, you know, on this next leg of the journey? Because we're changing and our relationships are changing too. Um, so everything has to keep moving forward. Uh, let's see just what we got here. Swimming, just keep swimming. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So the 21st. Uh, what do we want to? I'm getting lost here. I have to fast forward. 21st. 
I know I have a star on this day for something. Hmm. All right, we'll come back to it. So, yeah, the moon from Libra is squaring the nodes again. Um, and it's it's squaring Saturn and Pluto, so it's kind of going to feel heavy because difficult decisions have to be made. You have to move on these things. It's kind of like we've known that these changes are coming. We know we have to do it. And now it's time for adulting. You know, there's there's like it's the feeling of like do or die. There's no more time now. We just we have to do it because it's like we know what's coming. We can feel it energetically, and this has to do with the Pluto. Um, Saturn, Jupiter, all converging, and that's happening, what, in January, I think? Yeah, yeah. and plus, January. so a, you're just reminding me. Too. When is the eclipse? There is yeah, an eclipse. Yeah, that's on Christmas, I think. Yeah, Christmas it's near the solstice. Eve. So we're moving, mm -hmm. like, you're just reminding us that we're pretty much from the 21st to, like, new year's this is going to be interesting with the fam um yeah yeah it really is it really is <laughs> it's kind of a like who do you want to spend the holidays with i mean do you really want to do that anymore if family is really dragging you down there's soul family man and those people are really fucking cool so <laughs> get with those people i say go for your soul tribe hundred yeah. percent with you is there are there any more we should probably wrap up soon are there any um other like star days you have that will fill out the rest oops you kind of dropped out there nish am i back yeah you're back now so we probably should wrap soon are there any more like significant overtones we should be aware of yeah let's say We've got the new moon on the 26th, so that's going to feel like a really kind of a whole new, whole new world that we're walking into. Um, Venus is going to go into Capricorn. Venus and Jupiter are going to conjunct at the galactic center. Ooh, so wait. that's 29 degrees of Sagittarius. Um, there's a lot of like Cupid energy going on here because I've noticed there's the two Cupids, the asteroid Cupid, and then there's a trans-Neptunian Cupid, which is more of like a higher love and beauty and art and tantra and all of that stuff. And that's happening with that Jupiter-Venus conjunction. So Ooh, that sounds, sounds sexy. Really quite tasty. <laughs> yes, it does. Sounds pretty hot. Pretty hot you know uh -huh, indeed. So, yeah let me see what else is going on here um the full moon do, 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 do. when is the full moon oh yeah so the next full moon is december oh god 11th is it the 11th yeah i think so wait a minute I'm getting lost here. That's what happens when you have notes. You have to read them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I don't have so, my I don't have anything in front of me, so I can't even help with this. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. The next I'm getting lost here. Uh, that's when the next Nox Mente will be on. 
Right, right. Okay. So that's. I mean, yeah. the next obelisk. See, Mercury, work with it. us. Work with us, Mercury. Yep. I'm fast forwarding. I'll give it to you. Just uh, uh, December 11th. There we go. Oh, In Gemini. Excellent. So by the time we get to the next full moon, we're going to have a clearer picture of where we're going. And, you know, once Mercury goes direct, we're kind of in the clear with that. It's a little bit, things are going to even out, but then we have to like kind of go over what, what we've been through with the, with the retrograde and make decisions based on that. And really the aspects are really, really supportive. It seems huge. There's a lot of stuff that's coming out and realizations that people are having and all kinds of crap coming to the surface. But, you know, as long as we're doing our inner work, we're going to be cool. It's almost like a Pluto return. Does anyone have those? Everybody (laughs) has Pluto is so slow moving though. It's like every 28 (laughs) years or something. Yeah. But that's, it just reveals everything that's been hidden. All the dark stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the USA is having a Pluto return, if it, I'm not. A couple years, yeah. Again. It's starting, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> this is just the beginning. Right. Wait, Pluto is, Saturn is 28. How many mm-hmm. years Pluto is Pluto? Pluto is 84, I think. 84, thank you. You're right. So we're lucky if we have a Pluto return. <laughs> yeah, it's rare on in, on individuals that's why it's like that big it's the big thing so, so with this mm-hmm. with states and all that uranus and neptune yeah. and chiron are all in retrograde right now with mercury yes this is it's yeah. big it's big time stuff that's happening and then mm-hmm. you know with uranus and taurus and uh you know where our our sense of stability and all that can change by the a lightning bolt right now so yeah, huge changes. Big we changes. Have to be ready. Yeah, and everyone's you know, Yeah, mm-hmm. I always say it's like that water skiing or snow skiing principle. Keep your knees weak. You just ride it out. Yeah, yeah, right on. So yeah. I want to uh, I want to thank you. We're forty minutes in now, and I want to thank you so much, Susan. And how again? Just tell people how they can get a hold of you. Uh, throughout your social media world, the realms of social media? Yeah. Okay. So I'm Susan Mayorga on Facebook, M-A-Y-O-R-G-A. I'm also Astro Luna Chick. Um, You can email me, Astro Luna Chick at Gmail, Um, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. Um, if you want to contact me, I do readings. Obviously, I work on a sliding scale, so I'm happy to accommodate anybody. I really think that everybody should have access to this kind of information, and I love to do it, and I'll talk to anybody who'll listen to me. <laughs> so, yes, I do. I do readings. I do coaching. I love doing timing things. I like ritual, like you know, looking for aspects and planetary alignments for ritual and all that kind of juicy, good stuff. Well, thank you so much for coming on the obelisk. It's been wonderful. And uh, I hope everyone got, got this information and checks you out. Thank you. And thank you for letting me warm up for Tessa. 
and that was a really great honor. And <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm warming up for Joan Jett. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, she, well, Tessa is a superstar. Like Wait, she's star. gonna sing for us. <laughs> All right, Susan. Oh we'll gosh. talk. We'll see you on in the realms of social media. Yeah, we'll see you in the ethers. Thanks yes. again. All right, take care. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Bye, lady. Sweet. That was good. Yes. We got a little clue as to what's going on. Do you have any strangeness for us, Jerry? Oh, I do. <laughs> oh, I do. This thing. Hopefully my computer will not lock up because I did that. All right. So the first interesting story I found was the, this guy who had an NDE in the hospital in prison is now claiming that his life sentence is over and he should be released from prison. <laughs> you know what? There's something to it. He did die and he came back. I mean, the law is, if nothing else, loopholes. <laughs> Technically, he died. You know, it's a, it's a life sentence. I don't know. Exactly. Make up your own mind, but I thought it was pretty interesting. So the court mm -hmm. denied his request to be released uh, because if he can make such a plea, he must be still alive. But he died. I think uh, this would be fun for a good good lawyer. <laughs> Johnny Cochran. Yeah. What else do you have for us, Jared? So, um, they've named the most distant object ever found out in the Kuiper Belt now. It's it's uh, it's like a moon or a uh, side satellite of Ultima Thule. Oh, interesting! I get a kick Isn't out of that these interesting. Yeah, they named yeah. it Arakoth. and that's interesting as well. It is too, and I looked it up, and of course, it's very hard to find anything other than this news story when you search that name. But what I found is that it's actually a Powhatan Indian or Native American word for sky. Hmm. And that's the tribe of Pocahontas. Oh, okay. Which is, yeah, very specific to our neck of the woods out here mm -hmm. in the States. In Virginia. Interesting. Uh, Powhatan Algonquin. So I could find no demon name references of Arakoth because it looks very It does come, come. It's very goetic, isn't mm -hmm. it? <laughs> I, I went straight to the Goetia and I'm looking through them. Like, hmm. I was surprised that it wasn't in there, and it's in no mythology <laughs> that I could find. I searched for like 20 minutes. It was hard. All right. Huh. This was the last story. I found this interesting, too, that uh, some strange glitch sent tons of mysterious text messages to phones nationwide. What were the text messages? Things like, can you open the door? Oof. <laughs> you had one name, this, guy, this guy had one named Dakota. And it was, uh, she received it from her dead husband. Oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, it's, so they were all creepy. Yeah. Oh, interesting. What do you think, AI? That's, of course, my first thought, but who knows? I mean, it does sound, you know, from everything that we keep hearing about the direction AI is taking, you know, that, you know, this falls in line with it absolutely. and you know there's this whole dark nefarious side to it and and, and i've got a whole long <laughs> eight ten hour theory about that but 
<laughs> that's that's going to be a special show. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because actually that guy and I were talking about making it into a novel. So. Oh, I love that. And I love that guy. So I guess it's time we bring on our very special guest. Yes. Tessa, are you there? Tessa, can you hear me? Okay, I had to unmute myself with an obstreperous mouse. <laughs> with a stripper's mouse? <laughs> that's what it just means naughty. Yeah, that's what exactly. Okay. So welcome, Tessa. This is Tessa Dick. Everyone, I think, that's here tonight knows who you are, but you were married to Philip K. Dick. You are accomplished in your own right and on your own two feet as well as a writer. And uh, you guys have a master's degree in writing. English literature. English lit, yeah. And uh, you're just fascinating. I have encountered you in Walter Bosley's chats and then your live stream, you're coming out live streaming recently. And your depth of knowledge on just a plethora of subjects is fascinating. I love listening to you. On, on top and aside of, of the of your ex-husband Philip K. Dick's stuff, you as a person on your own are completely uh, raw and funny and interesting with a, a good take on the world around us. And I do suspect some of that, of course, came from your time with uh, Philip K. Dick. So welcome aboard to The Obelisk. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you. And and just want to apologize to Walter Bosley. Sorry, Walter. What? Why are you sorry? It's a long story. Mercury retrograde. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, we had <laughs> so much. The personal friend as well as a colleague. Oh yeah, he's a friend of the show. We we love Walter. Walter knows this. So Walter's on this show in December. Is that right, Jerry? I'm not sure when. I don't know yet. He's he'll he's gonna be on it. So looking like, um, looking like February. I've just started reading his book on the esoteric Napoleon. It's oh, fascinating. It's so good. It's so good. It really the deep research he did, I came out just more in love with Napoleon. I was already kind of digging into the Napoleon Napoleonic stuff away from the narrative. And uh, Walter just blew it open, as usual. Well, I I always, or as long as I can remember, I knew that Napoleon went to Egypt, and it was his men who found the Rosetta Stone. Yes. But there's more to it than that. Yeah, there's a lot more to it. He actually lay down in the coffin in the king's chamber, which I don't believe was a coffin, but... What do you think it was, Tessa? I think it contained something of value. And that it, whatever it was, it was stolen in ancient times. Do you think it was possibly something that would fit under the heading of supernatural? Maybe, maybe the emerald tablets of Thoth. 
See, this is juicy. <laughs> so, um, Dr. Joseph P. Farrell thinks it was a machine, that the Great Pyramid was some kind of weapon, and that uh, the that box, that stone box contained uh, computer chips. It ran the machine. Could be. You know, Dr. Farrell, anything he says, I, t I take ser so seriously because he, he is truly one of the great uh, deep researchers. And the way he synthesizes information is uh, first class. So... Yeah, I, I can follow that. I, I can absolutely follow that uh, as a ponder, if nothing else. Yeah, well, it certainly isn't a tomb. <laughs> so, Tessa, give us a little a, a bio. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, like. Well, I was the third of four children. I got to be the baby for nine years. Oh, nice. But we were all raised by the devil's sister. <laughs> I think that's my mom's cousin, but I don't, I'm not sure. And uh, <clears throat> when I met Phil, it was just that on a whim, I went to a party. I was not a party person, but uh, we just hit it off right away. And for several years, we were inseparable. Till his wandering eye fell on other women. He simply was not able to be faithful. And now that I know more about his history, I can see that it wasn't just me. He cheated on all his <laughs> But so was he, would you consider him, so, right, he was, he, he was a player. He was a cheater, but was he loyal? Do you know what I'm saying, the difference there? Loyal in heart? Well, when it came to his son, yes. And he, he was always willing to help me because he loved his son he was even my free babysitter when i was going to college uh, he, he really was a wonderful father but uh, i couldn't let him teach our son how to treat women because he wasn't good at that yeah I completely respect that. I also highly respect the fact that you were adamant about making sure that your son together had a relationship, that they had a relationship with each other because the daughters he basically didn't have a relationship with. No, their mothers would not let him see them. He did get to spend some time with Issa when she was still a child, but really um, the last time he had seen his daughter 
before she went to college, his daughter, Laura, she was six years old. And then here she was 19 years old and finally came to visit him, probably against her mother's wishes. How did that go? But, well, of course, Laura uh, didn't know the man and wanted to get to know him, but she wasn't a child anymore. Yeah. And apparently Phil had been accused of abuse by a stepdaughter. And I don't believe it was true, but I wasn't there. So that was probably why Anne and Nancy kept their daughters away from him. In, in all the time I knew him, he really didn't particularly want to hang out with children. He wanted to talk to adults and tell them all his ideas and his visions and dreams and the plots for his novels that he was going to write. Did you have an influence on any of the writing? Oh, yeah. I'm sort of a silent co-author of A Scanner Darkly. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I figure you must must have with just your your background with the literature and all this. And, of course, being tied to him in that way, romantically, and then, you know, as friends and with the son and all this. I, I I figured you had to have come into the mix somehow. So it's it's interesting for us looking in to place you in those where you are in all that. Well, I'll tell you, the second time the galley proofs came in, I was already sick of it because you the publisher sends things back and forth for proofreading. And um, Bill kind of delegated most of that to me because he couldn't spell a word to save his life. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is a juicy nugget, Tessa. <laughs> yeah, there's no, no spell checkers on this electric, right? <laughs> Uh, he didn't have an electric typewriter. He mm. had a standard manual Olympia oh, God. That, that he bought with the royalties from the man in the high castle. Mm. He said if he had an electric typewriter, it would be so easy to type that he'd type nothing but garbage. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It, it, it takes discipline to use a, a manual typewriter. And muscles. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> but he was not a Luddite. He had one of the early versions of cable TV called Select TV. It had one channel. I remember Select it TV. came over the telephone line, so you couldn't talk on the phone yeah. while you were watching. It was horrible. Yeah. That was it, like early 70s. Um, 75? Like 70s. Yeah. We had, um, in Chicago, they had a similar one called On TV. We had Select or On. It was basically in the UFF, UHF band, and then you called in for it. <laughs> Along around 83, I think, I got 
Orange Cable Vision. Back when cable TV was a local thing with a city charter, you know, the, their territory was the city of Orange. But they had, you know, all the regular TV channels and a few premium channels. Did did so did you both watch TV a lot? Were you not a lot. Um, I do remember when we were still married, he liked all the, um, oh, of course I'm blanking on the name, the uh, comedy shows like All in the Family and Soap. Laughing was that, or is that or two? Oh, that, that was much earlier. Laughing was the 60s. I met him in 72. Okay. He would yeah. not watch The Tonight Show, which back then was Johnny Carson. Why wouldn't he watch The Tonight Show? I don't know. He'd Interesting. Watch, he'd watch the 11 o'clock, you know, prime, t, uh, prime channel news, you know, the network news. That's it. 11 o'clock was when the best stuff came out on the news. And then he'd go to bed. Was he a man of uh, a routine like that? So it was like bed at the same time every night, etc. Not really. He did like to eat breakfast, and I, I, I don't want to see food in the morning. <laughs> I don't eat. I'm not I, one. I I'm not a breakfast, breakfast person. Me neither. It's like instant diarrhea. Oh, you coffee and, and, and maybe <laughs> a glass of milk. And I still drink cow's milk. Well, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> we just had this discussion on Facebook. Why is cow's milk called cow's milk and human milk is called breast milk? <laughs> I don't get it. It's one of those things, right? I guess. You know, among some primitive, I don't know if it still happens today, but among some primitive tribes in Africa, the old men would watch the babies because their mothers were working in the fields. And the men actually, according to uh, National Geographic, actually produced breast milk. The old men. I have, I think, I don't know if I watched that one. I, I've definitely read that somewhere that there's some sort of, something stimulates, if there's a sucking action consistently, it stimulates those mammary glands that men have as well. Plus, uh, very old men have a different hormone balance than women. Right. Yes. It's a uh, old man milk. Huh. I wish I could I wish I could lactate. <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> That's good. It's, a, it's no fun. And you get all these wet spots on your shirt. I have those already. Talk about wet t shirt. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well anyway, I I have nothing against rice milk and almond milk, but you know, when I make pudding, I want milk. Did so were you were you both 
you both just standard American diet. This is all before kind of the fads. Vegetarianism was around, but. Yeah, for a short time, he decided to be a vegetarian, but I didn't know how to, I barely knew how to cook with meat. (laughs) He couldn't maintain it, especially not with noggles around. He missed oh, the I love noggles. and tacos. And the Hershey's chocolate shakes. Mm. Did what so what inspired him to go vegetarian for a while? You guys are young. I drink malts. It's like I, a shake, but you add I malt am, sugar. I only drink malts too. I love malt myself, but it's like is right Ovaltine's malt. It's an acquired taste. Yeah, Ovaltine has malt. Um, it's, I don't know, I grew up drinking malt, or in England they say malted. Yeah, yes. Malted. Yeah. You ask for a shake, a milkshake there, they probably know now, but there was a time when they looked at you like you were nuts. <laughs> Malt's delicious. Yeah, I still, if I, if I get one, if I get go get the shake because they're not sold by malts anymore. I always ask for malt to be added. Right. But steak and I, shake definitely has malts. I don't know if we have I that here. Haven't been to steak and shake. I almost got to once, but the people in my group wanted to go to this phony Italian restaurant in a Las Vegas hotel. <laughs> Pony in Las Vegas, really? All you can eat spaghetti. Caesar salad, and it was made with spring greens. (laughs) Not a Caesar salad. Romaine lettuce. But it took them so long to make the salad, I wasn't about to send it back. Did they break the egg at the table to make the sauce? Oh, no. No, they poured bottled Italian dressing on it. (laughs) Jeez. So yeah. what what inspired Phil to go vegetarian for that short period of time? Oh, his empathy for animals. And the, you know, we were beginning to be very aware of how they're treated on factory farms. Yeah. You know, that I don't think anyone likes that. Yeah, it's hard to think about. I, I always had a hard time thinking about the treatment of animals. Yeah, it it makes me angry when people think that hunting is so bad when you hunt for food. Don't they know that the animals had to die for what they get at the grocery store? Right. Oh, there's such a disconnect. They don't think about it. And when they think about hunting, they think about themselves killing the animal and how they couldn't do it. So it, it triggers them. I have a problem with trophy hunting. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's really not the evil they make it out to be. What about trophy wife hunting? Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. I never was a trophy wife, too much of a tomboy. Is that one of the reasons why Phil liked you? I guess. He thought I was tougher than I was. We were both injured people. And 
I think that's a lot of what drew us together. Was it, so it wasn't like that, oh, love at first sight thing. You were friends first, correct? No, we were, it was love at first sight. Okay, so when it started like that, how, what, how did you meet him? I just on a whim went to a party where I, I didn't know anybody but the um, gal who invited me and she was the only one Phil knew. And she got too drunk to drive me home. I, I didn't drive at the time, didn't have a car. And of course, dad wouldn't let me drive his car without a license. <laughs> Sensible. Yeah. So, uh, well, I, uh, deep Durple Haze, I am ginger. Well, I was, I'm gray now. But I said, Injured, I-N-J-U-R-E-D. Injured people. Yeah. Phil, no, was a towhead, so blonde his hair was white when he was a child. I was yeah. a redhead. I had auburn hair. You almost have to describe towhead these days. I've, I said, I've said towhead recently, and no one knew what I was talking about. Yeah. Um. Uh, they've also forgotten Southpaw. Well, I said, um, what was I think to Oswald, uh, close to the bone, living close to the bone. And, <laughs> uh, and Oswald didn't know what that term was. It's an old school one, you know, for getting by, you know, barely yeah. closely close to the bone. Scrimping. Yeah. Eking out a living. Southpaw came from That's baseball. The pitcher's left hand yeah. was to the south. <laughs> yes. So tell us more about how the relationship started. Was it was it a one night stand, Tessa? <laughs> Pretty much, but uh, I never left. I never went home. Except it was <laughs> some clothes to change into. Oh, I love that. So it was it was hot and heavy in the beginning. Yeah. And then he started talking about uh all this weird stuff like HP Lovecraft and Ooh. Ooh, I, I was really fascinated. Was he a, a Lovecraft fan? Apparently. <laughs> I'm not sure how much of Lovecraft he actually read, but he he knew Quite a bit, and I, I had never heard of Lovecraft. He was a creepy dude. Yeah. But wrote some yeah, awesome but, stuff. And, yeah. yeah, another visionary, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's so ironic. So, in, so you meet at a party, you, you immediately just have this, you have this connection, and then you, it basically just starts this love affair off. Yep. And that that leads into how long was it before you got married? Well, he had to get divorced first. Right. It's so Henry the <laughs> Eighth. So, I'm gonna start my own religion. I left him in the fall of sixty-nine. And here we were in the fall of seventy-two, and his lawyer called and said, Well, actually 
called the neighbor because we didn't have a phone and told Phil, you have to come to court. Nancy wants her divorce. And how, yeah. Tessa, how did you feel about that, that he was still married at the time? Well, that was quite a shock. Because you, you didn't know it in the beginning, did you? No, he told everyone he was divorced. Yeah. Me. But um, I went to the courthouse with him and met Nancy. And she was a very nice lady. Still is. No problems with her, but she didn't want to be with Phil anymore. Mm -hmm. for, the, for the same reasons? I'm not sure. Nancy suffers from schizophrenia. And that might have had something to do with it. But she she is a very fragile person emotionally. Mm -hmm. And Phil had a lot of rough edges. Yeah. But she had fallen in love with someone else and left him. And so you you get into this love affair with him and then you realize that he is still married. How did how did you how did that was that a bump in the relationship for you with him? He'd been asking me to marry him from like the I think day 3. Oh girl, yes. <laughs> Before he was even divorced. <laughs> you rocked his world, Tessa. I was thinking, uh, this is a little fast. <laughs> Let me think about it. <laughs> you got to give me time to think before I answer that. Yeah. Did he take that as a rejection, though? Was that hard for him to hear? No. I think he respected that answer. Yeah. But, you know, as... Time went on and the relationship developed. We found that we both wanted to have a child. So you were, you actually talked about that beforehand. Oh yeah. It was totally deliberate for both of us. That's a, that's beautiful. Rather than just getting knocked up and being here we are. <laughs> I, I would have settled for that, but he wanted a son, and I just knew, don't know how I knew, but I knew I was going to have a son, not a daughter. Oh, interesting. Did you have dreams around that? Mm, not specifically around that, but yeah, I, I had dreams about growing old together. Didn't Aww. happen. Not not quite the way it could have. Yeah. I, I didn't, I wasn't very old when he died. Yeah, what was the age difference between the two of you? Mm -hmm. 25 years. Okay, that's old school. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and he wasn't, he wasn't rich or famous either. Right. Well, he, he, you know, isn't it true? I mean, he didn't really get famous until after his death. Right. Blade Runner came out in the theaters after he died. 
So he was aware that it was being made into a film, though, correct? Yes, he had seen the rushes and a rough cut. But uh, never saw the finished film. What did he say about the rushes he was seeing? Well, early on, he hated the film. And he promised, well, he actually did uh, trash it in some publications. He went all Alan Moore on it? <laughs> he, he went postal. Mm. It was awful. So what did he like, uh, for people that may not know? Just, just car chases and shootouts with yeah. no story. So then they hired David Peoples as a script doctor. And in recent interviews, David Peoples claims that there was nothing wrong with Hampton Fancher's script, but Phil would disagree quite strongly. Well, Do you think he would have, I'm sorry, Jerry. No, it's okay. I was going to say, you know, just by reading his writing and his style, it's clear that he was very, I would say, anal about how things were written, and I can imagine him having tons of problems with the script, besides well, the story. He wrote many of his novels in a big hurry, because when um, The Man in the High Castle won the Hugo Award, mm -hmm. uh, that was during his marriage to Anne, a very expensive wife, with a big farm that uh, did not make money, but ate it. And did she, but did she make good milk? That's because <laughs> he needed the money. So he took old manuscripts and cleaned them up, and he took short stories and expanded them. And he claimed that he wrote six novels in six weeks, but he didn't write them from scratch. Oh, in the chat room, Persian scribe referred to a Martian jump room. Yeah, the Corey good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, Lord. They're all in Antarctica anyway. So I have a question. Do you think, uh, I never read A Scanner Darkly, but I did see the movie. And uh, <coughs> I still think the they got the plot across in a good yeah. way. And I watched it recently, and I think it's even more prescient today than it was when it came out. Well, the people who made the movie were literally faithful to the novel on purpose, but they didn't understand the point that Phil was getting across in the novel. Yes, drugs are bad. Yes, drugs will kill destroy you and eventually kill you. But his real point was that the war on drugs is a greater evil than the drugs themselves. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that in the movie. No, yeah. in the movie you get more of um, this idea that people have a different person living, in, that they're just vessels. That's at least the message I was saying, that, that that they're interchangeable and you don't really know what you're, what you're dealing with. Well, that isn't how Phil wrote his books. He, 
even though he's sometimes accused of having paper doll characters who are just types, he really did focus on making them real people that he cared about. Yeah. No, it, it's a great story. And, and uh, was it Rodriguez made the movie? I don't remember. That doesn't ring a bell, but I can't remember. The guy I who did Spy Kids, right? My internet connection will hold up. You're doing fine. It was the guy who did Sin City and... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Spy You're thinking Kids. of that Spanish language one. This was Richard Linklater. Linklater. He directed um, it, but uh, what's... Linklater. Mm -hmm. But there was a... Um, I can't remember the title. I it coming up from time to time. There's a Spanish language film that really is a scanner darkly under another name. Hmm. Well, if you find that, let me know what it is because I've never heard of it. Um, Barjo, B-A-R-J-O. I'll find a trailer. Yeah, and we can drop that. One of you can it drop that into the chat. Popped into my head as often happens. Oh, my internet connection won't let me look that up. Uh, Jerry I'm can looking, do it. I'm looking it up. Tessa. Yes. What did so? I just want to get back on for a second onto. Uh, Blade Runner, what did you think when the film finally came out and you were able to see it? Of course, this is after Phil had passed. Um, I zoned out for a minute. Blade Runner? Yeah, what was your, what did you think when you actually saw the finished film that came out and now has become the iconic, you know, so iconic? The 1980 film is good. It, there isn't much of Philip K. Dick in it, but it's a good movie. It's solid. And, um, okay, Indiana Jones. What's the actor's name? Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. <laughs> Ford, yeah. He had a lot to do with making that a good movie, but the really shining moment, of course, is that final speech. Yes, yeah, uh, which was uh, overquoted on Twitter when he died. Yeah, from Roy, yep. right? Yeah, Riker Hauer wrote most of that speech himself. I, I had read that some part of it was ad-libbed. Could be, but he actually, um, the night before that scene was shot, he wrote down some notes and mm. asked, Ridley Scott, if he could use what he had written, and thank God he said yes. <laughs> the original script was that bad, huh? Tears in the rain. Yeah, it's a good... yeah. oh yeah, it's a profound speech. And, I mean, it, it. you know, it stands. It's just interesting that there was so little, this is what brought Phil into fame, and really, so little of the novel is in the final product of the film. But I have to say that I'm seriously disappointed in Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. It started out okay, and then it got lame quick. 
quickly. I blame Ridley Scott for picking the wrong director. Denis Villeneuve is an artiste and he makes great films, but this isn't one of them. Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, I watched Dusky Orange Landscapes and Dark Blue Interiors for two hours, and then finally Harrison Ford appeared for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. It's called Sepia. Sepia. Sepia, yeah. And cobalt or maybe Prussian blue? Prussian blue. Not phthalo blue. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, it has some serious problems with continuity. I'll give you the major one. Way down into the film when Love is searching for K... Always makes me think of Men in Black, and they meant, of course, Franz Kafka. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I can't help laughing. Officer K is Men in Black. Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> well, anyway, Love is searching for K, so she goes to the police station to use their computers, and of course, she has to commit a, a gruesome murder to get to the computer, right? Well, about an hour earlier, they had established that the police could no longer track Officer K because he wiped the hard drive on his computer. And before that, they had established that Love could track him through the little portable device that held his girlfriend, his virtual girlfriend. So she didn't need the police computer. They just wanted to have a gruesome murder scene. Yeah, well, that's not uncommon. Yeah, that's the mill. Yeah, I'm like, uh, hello, (laughs) continuity. They probably didn't have anyone doing continuity, or that would have been caught. Oh, I'm sure they do. They just, they're bad. Look at Game of Thrones put out a, a show with, what, a Starbucks cup on the table. <laughs> well, <laughs> now they say it wasn't really a Starbucks cup. It was some other brand. It was a modern day coffee <laughs> cup. It certainly wasn't, period. Starbucks should have paid them to say it was a Starbucks cup. Uh, they uh, were totally. <laughs> I think, I, I don't know. It's, it seemed like a propaganda stunt to me, but... Um, I I also think that you have young kids today who see Starbucks cups or cups like that everywhere in their life and just didn't didn't notice it. Overpriced burnt coffee. <laughs> it is, but I like I it. Refill my water. It won't take long. Okay. That's a good point, though, Jerry, because the those cups are so ubiquitous that they do kind of just disappear to to modern day people yeah you could be looking down i I can't tell you how many times i've looked at a table with coffee cups for my cup and i didn't see it it's like it blends in with (laughs) with the wood we have a better coffee shop here it's run by the baptist church and Mm. it's called higher grounds ah nice catchy holy water (laughs) And a, a 
latte is $3.50. Half of what Starbucks charges. I, good Lord. I still think that's pricey for a cup of coffee. I only drink iced coffee from Starbucks. It's three eighty-five, I think. Well, they um, also use better coffee. It's um, this... Um, Oh, I forget. It's from somewhere in South America from a coffee plantation that doesn't exploit its workers and stuff like, like free that. trade, yes. Cool, yeah, cool. some places that have the free trade label are uh, it's well that's a, a yeah. yeah. Well so, like well, everything these days. So uh, before we started, you were talking about how certain radio hosts didn't want to hear your woo stories, and we wanted to hear some woo stories. Yeah, give us some woo, Tessa. I'll give you one that Phil made up. Oh, love this. <laughs> it's really based on his own theories that he had developed over years and years, and he put it into the mouths of time travelers from the future. During the time in 74 when he was having most of his visions and dreams, he said that there were translucent people hiding in the corners of our living room and they were shocked when they realized that he could see them. And from time to time, I'd catch sight of one out of the corner of my eye, but I think it was just because he, I wanted to see them and he had described them so vividly. He said they were human, but they looked funny. They were, their faces were shaped like the bust of Nefertiti, Akhenaten's wife, mm -hmm. with very small mouth and a, a, the skull going back uh, farther than our skulls actually go. Kind of what you might call a cone head. Like the but Anunnaki, the whatever. Yeah, the elongated skulls. Well, these would be our future descendants mm -hmm. in the future. And of course, I think he made it up because it sounded better coming from them than from him. <laughs> this is before the exegesis went way woo-woo. Mm. Anyway... Was this before Saturday Night Live had the conehead stuff with Jane? Oh, it might have been about the same time, but I think it was earlier. There are a lot of people who I have think had... the coneheads came more around 76 or 7. Yeah. 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 Yep, so totally. It had to be before because this was 74. Well, anyway, they told him they were humans earthlings from our future and that they were trying to change their past which of course was our present because they had messed up the planet really badly with war and pollution but the biggest mistake they made was genetic engineering we didn't have that word for it then they called it eugenics mm -hmm had messed up their own DNA so badly that they could no longer have children. They couldn't make babies. And that was the biggest warning 
as far as Phil was concerned, and I think he was right, that messing with our DNA is a really bad idea. Yes, very much so. So that that whole idea of what you just said is not uncommon. There are many people who have had experiences like that who can get a very similar message, be it in dreams or in waking states. But, well, I, I, I'm willing to listen to that sort of thing, but I just kind of uh, shrug and sigh when I hear a psychic medium channeling aliens from the Pleiades who want us to save the Earth from global warming. Yeah, I think those are just government programs. Uh, if there are aliens on the Pleiades, I'm sure they don't care about global warming. <laughs> no, probably not. They're dicks, I think, right? They're, or is that the... They have their own planet to worry about. Right. If, oh, if there even is a planet. Derpal Haze comes through. Coneheads began in 77 on Saturday yes. Night Live. All right. Well, there's a whole generation of people who don't even realize that the Coneheads existed on Saturday Night Live, and and yet they that we talk about Coneheads in terms of ETs and all that now, but there's a disconnect with with it what in the pop culture like that. What about the old movies and? I think it was the Twilight Zone had an episode called To Serve Man. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is my... I thought it was a cone head. My father didn't really care for sci-fi. And <laughs> when he was, when he was, you know, whenever, whenever that, that episode of the Twilight Zone came out, he saw it and that's the one he always told me about that he remembered. Still to this day, it's the one he remembered. It's the one that stuck with him. Mm-hmm. Well, there weren't anyway many early science fiction uh, movies and TV shows that had what we would call cone heads. They had to have some way to make them look different. Well, and it's interesting because when we do look at some of the stuff, like the Elongated skulls and the Akhenaten stuff and all the stuff that's now out again, out and talked about because it was in the 1800s at least as well. Um, you know, there's this kind of looping aspect and I'm, I'm wondering where Phil landed on all of this. Have, you know, looking at the stuff he wrote and the canon of his work, what, what did, what did he think about all of this stuff, really? The woo, that we would call it, and as we call it now, the woo. Well, he pooed uh, a lot of it. He laughed at things like astrology and, and ESP, but on the other hand, he kind of had ESP. Uh, he could... He could imagine the future and be spot on. He even had a, a dream or vision about his own death 
lying on the floor in his living room, unable to move. And that is how he was found. He didn't die right away. He died in the hospital, but. Oh, wow. How, what was the time period? Like when he had that vision, how old was he? Oh, that was part of the 1974 experience. And then in 1982, he was found on February 18th, but he'd been lying there for some time. Ooh. His official date of death is March 2nd. Oh, jeez. Sometimes second sounds like seventh, so I like to say the tooth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why, why was his death actually... a f- so later, why is it officially dead a month later or whatever, however well, long that was? He'd been what they call brain dead. And then they, uh, on this March 2nd, they unplugged the life support. That's rough. Were you able to be there, you and your son? A couple of times. His, uh, his daughters didn't want me to visit him. They'd been told a, a line of bull. So they were actually keeping you away from him? Yes, but I did see him three times. And on one occasion, I managed to bring his son to see him. They tried to say he was too young. He was eight years old. But uh, I got him in there once. Oh, man. He's been in intensive care, and they're not supposed to keep children out. Right. What Does your son have any relationship with his sisters at all? Oh, yeah. He, he does now. So they, they got past that, obviously, then. Yeah, I'd I'd say he's really good friend with Laura, and he gets along with Issa, but they don't hang out. What does your son think about the legacy that Phil left behind? That the you know, I mean, he's he's truly one of the visionaries of our time, and it's a you know it's a big deal to a lot a lot of people. Uh, and so you know, there he is. He's the son of Philip K. Dick. Well, of course, he's proud of his father, but he's a very private person and doesn't want to do anything public as the son of Philip K. Dick. Yeah. And myself, I didn't um, do much in public for uh, more than 10 years after Phil died. Look at what they did to L. Ron Hubbard's kid. After after Hubbard died and his son went on tour, the apology tour. Oh. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard stole a great deal from the Mormons in his... I'm not surprised. I figured he stole it all. He was a notorious thief, plagiarist. Charlotte. Yeah, and poor Jack Parsons. Poor Jack. I know. Took his girlfriend 
his money and his boat. Yeah, but Jack, Jack got him back. <laughs> he did? Well, yeah. Well, the story is that uh, Hubbard took his girlfriend, which was, she was 14 or 15, I think. But that's besides the point. Uh, and 20 grand and went down to Florida and bought a boat and was hiding out on the water. And this is like the early origin of the sea level people in Scientology. I won't get into. So anyway, um, yeah, so he's out on, he wouldn't come back to land because Jack had people looking for him and he had, he had, had uh, creditors looking for him in Florida. So he was just like hanging out in international waters away from everyone. So uh, Parsons did a ritual and it brought a hurricane or a storm or something and forced him inland to port. Ah, I wonder if Parsons wasn't using some Tesla technology. His mind, yeah. Well, he had a laboratory. He did, but I'm. I, I, maybe um, Hubbard got him back. His lab blew up and killed him. Or the government, or the Nazis. I don't know. I don't know. Government was after Phil. He never knew why, and I only put it together recently. Because he was right about things. Well, Phil thought maybe his all. It was obvious that some kind of organized and well-funded group was after him. Mm -hmm. He never knew why for sure, but he thought maybe because he had signed a petition in Ramparts magazine promising not to pay his income taxes until the Vietnam War was ended. And you think so that warranted uh, gang stalking? Yeah. And a home invasion. Thank God no one was home at the time. And uh, when he was up in Canada, the story goes that he tried to commit suicide, but one of Phil's dreams or visions was actually recovered memories. Two men in black suits had grabbed him off the street, shoved him into the back of a black limousine, and it drove around the streets of Vancouver, British Columbia, for he doesn't know how long, a Not long time, though. A nice tour of the city in a limo. Yeah, right. Well, they questioned <laughs> him and, and told him stuff and drugged him and hypnotized him. And he woke up sitting on the floor of his apartment with an empty pill bottle and an empty gl water glass. And it was sleeping pills. You think that could have been some kind of uh, MK Ultra operation? Because that was kind of their MO. Something like that. I. Anyway, I, I pegged it yeah. to the Drug Enforcement Administration, which Nixon put together. Nixon had called Dr. Timothy Leary the most dangerous man in America. Leary was the proponent of LSD. Okay, Boomer. That's what they would say to Nixon today. <laughs> 1954. Yeah. A very good year because I was born. So anyway, yeah, I guess I should explain. 
uh, Leary was an actual scientist who actually experimented with LSD at Harvard, or maybe it was Yale, I think it was Harvard. Anyway, um, he came up with the slogan, turn on, tune in, and drop out. Well, Leary had gone to prison for drug offenses, and he had escaped. But prior to his prison sentence, he had made a telephone call to Philip K. Dick, this obscure science fiction writer living in poverty in San Rafael, Marin County, north of San Francisco. So when the uh, federal agents were looking for Leary, they must have come across this phone call that Dr. Leary made to this guy in, in uh, Northern California who had signed a petition in Ramparts Magazine and blah, blah, blah. On top of that, when Phil's short story, Faith of Our Fathers was published in Harlan Ellison's anthology, Dangerous Visions, Ellison had written a little introduction to the story claiming that Phil had written it while under the influence of LSD. He was targeted and doomed and never knew why. Phil actually took LSD twice. His friend and fellow author Ray Nelson got it for him from UCLA where they had the actual pharmaceutical. Good stuff. Yeah, but Phil didn't like it. He he had terrible experience with it. I would imagine so. It's not, yeah, you got to be in the right state of mind for that. Did he tell you what his experience was? Well, he had a Beethoven record, I think the Ninth Symphony on the uh, stereo. And he couldn't hear it. He just saw it growing like a great big cactus. Oh, wow. And uh, apparently he had a vision of hell. But he didn't go into too much detail about it. Did he give any detail about it? Just the screams of the people in pain. But he, he wouldn't talk much about it. Kind of like... Uh, soldier with PTSD, they don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, everyone thought Phil was a big drug addict and his brains were burned out. They thought he hadn't been writing for three years. Well, actually, he had written half of Deus Erie and sent it off to his co-author, Roger Zelazny. He had written, Blow My Tears, the policeman said, mm. but never sent it to his publisher. It, you know, he hadn't published anything, but he'd been writing. He just kind of he couldn't follow through with everything when his house was smashed up and he fled the country in fear of his life and then was suicided and just. By the grace of God, he, he woke up in time to call for help. 
Yeah, it's. Did you have you seen it? Have you had any other paranormal experiences since that time? That one time, or UFOs or anything like that? I've had all kinds of weird experiences, completely apart from Phil. One that I was sure I had just imagined or dreamed <clears throat> turned out to be real. Mm. I was six years old. My older brother, Steve, was nine years old, and he got a telescope for his birthday in August of 1960. So we were out in the backyard after dark, which ordinarily we were not allowed to be outside after dark. And, you know, he, Steve was showing me things with his telescope. And we saw this big glowing red orb come down from the sky. And I was sure I imagined it, so I never said anything And until Steve brought it up. My older and smarter brother did see it. And then it's been a few years of us just wondering what the heck that was. Mom wouldn't let us tell her about it because when she called us to come in, we were too slow answering her. Steve said he thinks she saw it and was scared. Anyway, just, oh, I think about a week ago, maybe two weeks, I learned about this book called UFOs Over California. And sure enough, on August 13, 1960, both cigar-shaped UFOs and glowing red orbs were seen in the sky from Northern California, a town called Corning, which is north of Sacramento, but south of uh, Mount Shasta, from Corning, the Baja California, in other words, Mexico, people were seeing these orbs in the sky. I've seen one. And there was a, a blue book study, and they said it was an inversion layer. <laughs> Have you seen that show, the uh, Project Blue Book show on, I think it's on the History Channel. Well, I saw the old show when, when it was on free TV, you know, with the rabbit ears. Yeah. TV. You don't get, you don't get that anymore. Not allowed. It, yeah. Well, I live on a mountain, so I couldn't get it if I tried. I'd have to run a 150-foot antenna up a pine tree to get TV. Yeah. You just stream everything. You don't need cable anymore. Uh, there's I a, refuse to get cable. Yeah, me too. There's a, a like a ten, there's ten episodes of the first season of this Project Blue Book where they've serialized a few of the big sightings that Heineck went uh, and investigated. They've uh, partnered him up with uh, an Air Force dude who is skeptical. It's like a a Scully to his Mulder, if you will. Okay. It's actually not bad, but I don't think it portrays Heineck, honestly. But yeah. the show's not bad. The show's not bad. But it's funny, the, the funny part where I'm getting to here, sorry, it's taking too long, was the excuses that he came up with. I think the first one where he, after his scientific investigation, he said it was swamp gas. 
I just laughed so hard. <laughs> you know the classic answer, and it's like his first one in the, like the second episode of the show. Anyway, I'll shut up. Heineck has told the true story. There was a sighting he simply could not explain scientifically, and his bosses were pressuring him to come up with something. Right. That was always the goal. Said, well, you know, sometimes swamp gas can get ignited and... and right. Because right. the ships were shooting. But, but he, he, you know, he was pressured to come up with something. I have seen things that look like UFOs, but well, one of them turned out to be the blimp. I kind of suspected that because it, was, <laughs> it looked like it was over Anaheim Stadium during an Angels game. Oh dear, you're not all Californians. It's a baseball stadium in in the home of the mouse, Orange County. Yeah. Do they have blimps still? And is, hmm? Do they still have the blimps over the stadiums? I, I think I think they, they do. Now, but cool. they stopped for a while because kids were shooting at it with BB yes. guns. And it, it, you know, they could actually bring it down, and they'd have to, you know, put it on a truck and take it to the airport and patch it up and refill it. Just imagine how many idiot kids would try and fly a drone up there. Oh, man. In I these I would. fires, people have stopped the airdrops of water and Foscheck by flying their drones <laughs> over the fire. They got to make that YouTube video. Yeah, well, I think we should have someone posted with a shotgun to shoot down the drone. <laughs> <laughs> That reminds me of a, of a case, I think four or five years ago. I don't remember the exact date, but and it may have been in Georgia. Someone was flying a drone over a guy's house and he shot it. And he get, got in trouble for doing that because apparently the airspace in your house isn't yours. Right, right. It's like the minerals on your land. Mm -hmm. I think the deal was the guy was taking pictures of the wife who was sunbathing. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. There's a bounty on drones and something. That's awesome. Jeez. So, um, so you've just seen stuff you never had, like contact with the, the pointy-headed folks? Time travelers? No. I've been contacted by people who claim to be aliens, but they look perfectly human to me. Well, yeah. what? Why did they contact you? And what did like? Give us an example. Well, this is going to be really woo woo. Wait, we, there can't be too woo woo for us. I have memories that I never repressed and never forgot, but they can't be real because I'd have to be in two places at the same time. I think that's possible, Tessa. But I do know for sure that some graduate students from UCLA conducted a study of children at my elementary school when I was seven years old. And once again, my older and smarter brother Steve remembers it too. But all he remembers is uh, 
study of uh, self-esteem, the relationship between self-esteem and leadership ability. And it was published in Scientific American. It was a longitudinal study. But I remember more than that. I remember them trying to get me to do psychic stuff. Not just me, a group of us from different grade levels. Yeah, this is, we know, we know this now that that, that stuff really happened and it's, there's a lot of validity to it. So what kind of psychic stuff were they running you through? I think today we would call it remote viewing. Okay. You remember? You reminded me. That's the specific. Go ahead, go, go, go. Like what's in John's pocket or what's in that cardboard box and eventually what's in the bank vault downtown? <laughs> and some of the questions were not, you know, they weren't giving you that information. It was just what is X or something like that. Right. You get a, an obscure abstract target to focus on. I think Something that you don't know the target, but right. they have a little code for it. Right. I think that might have been what Bill was doing when he was seeing the future. Well, he did claim to have precognitive abilities. Who knows? Yeah. I was wondering, have you had, did you, so after Phil's death, did you have, and up to current times, do you dream of him? Do you encounter him in the dream space at all? I was going to ask that question. It was about a year after he died. I think it might have been a year to the day. So that's what I say in my books. But um, I thought I was awake. I probably was. It was morning, but I thought, oh, I'll lie in bed for a few minutes longer. I don't have to get up yet. And um, suddenly I was in this Victorian library. If you've seen the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, it would be something like that library, but smaller. Yeah. I'm sitting in the chair at the table, big long, like a big dining table. And Phil was sitting in the chair next to me. And we had a talk about how uh, he needed to move on and I shouldn't um, try to hold him back. I should quit trying to make contact with him. And I reluctantly agreed. And he went out the door into a, a garden and started walking along the garden path with a friend who I understood to be one of the uh, philosophers. Um, can't come up with a name. Of course, my brain, it might have been Francis Bacon. I think that's who, the author of The New Atlantis, in which he 
thought that America was the new Atlantis. I think America is the old Atlantis. Atlantis could be in a, another dimension for all we know. Well, people don't really read Plato. They look for a, an entire continent that sank beneath the waves. That isn't what Plato said. He said the island sank. It was a big island, but it wasn't the continent that was ruled from that island. Right, and just because it sank doesn't mean that it didn't submerge to go back to the bottom of the ocean or something. Well, anyway, the continent did not sink, according to Plato, just the island. And I think the island really is uh, at least partly in the Caribbean, but the continent has to be at least South America and maybe all of the Americas. And by the way, Atlantis was not a good place to live. If you happen to be one of the uh, half-god kings, sure, life was great. But if you were an ordinary person, it was hell on earth. Plus, they had a lot of, well, from, from what people claim, there was a lot of magic being used. Well, science and magic kind of converged into this, you know, mind-driven technology, if you will which was their undoing, according to many people. Well, if you read Plato's Utopia, it is his description of Atlantis. You see, he couldn't let on that he had been to Egypt and talked with the priests because he wasn't supposed to tell anyone what they had told him. But he knew a lot more about Atlantis and other magical stuff than he let on. He just didn't call it Atlantis. Utopia has these philosopher kings who sit around all day thinking and talking. Life was great for them. Sounds, but, sounds exhausting. Uh, for example, dwarves and midgets were bred to work in the mines. The original eugenics program, and and Very big Tolkien. strong, big strong people that. were bred to be soldiers or farmers. It, it was very stratified society by what they would call race, which had nothing to do with skin color. It had to do with your height, your weight, your strength. And ordinary people were not bred for intelligence. Yeah, so these, these um, what did you call them? God kings? Demigods? Yeah. Whatever. Or, these, or philosopher kings. They, you know, they were, that's kind of like an Anunnaki story with the Sumerians and how, yeah. you know, because they bred allegedly humans to mine gold for them or whatever nonsense. Yeah, well, I have quite a bit of disagreement with that. Oh, I do too. But, and what, uh, what, what's your thoughts on it? Well, the Anunnaki were lesser gods 
At one time, they had a pretty high position in their pantheon, but they lost it and were kind of tossed down to the earth. And there is no planet Nibiru. They don't need gold for their atmosphere. And you would never breed humans like us to mine gold. Look at the cost for the hard hats and the heavy boots and the protective clothing and the tools. I don't know how concerned about protecting them. And vulnerable. Mm. We even have to have oxygen tanks. I, I don't know how concerned about personal safety they were. Well, they certainly <laughs> wanted someone to be... Uh, able to mine the gold without dying down there and never bringing the gold up for you? I think they just actually wanted to not to have to have sex with hairy apes. Oh, maybe. So they made their, <laughs> their own version of sex dolls. If they bred someone to mine gold, it would probably be something more like the Cro-Magnon or a Bigfoot, mm -hmm. Bigfoot. or a Neanderthal. Yeah, Someone who's strong and doesn't have to have all this protective gear. Right. Fact is, uh, Sitchin started out well and then went nuts. <laughs> Why do you I, think that is? I think he really believed it. And when he couldn't find the evidence, he made it up because he just believed it was true and needed to convince others. But humans in, in the actual Sumerian myth were not made by the Anunnaki. I forget what they call the gods who made humans, but the highest god was Anu, or right. An. <clears throat> and they're like, the Anunnaki would be like sons of An. Right. I I suspect that they're really related to Anak, the, the, one of the Nephilim tribes that the Israelites uh, drove out of the Holy Land. Because they're demons. No, they're half demon. Half demon. <laughs> Even half demon's demon to me. Yeah, well, yeah. Half breed. I, I, I'm really, I'm really thinking about this lately about the whole demon, everything is demon thing. What you know? What if at some point in the past they were able to inhabit or incarnate here, and that would explain all that. Well, they happening. still want to. I know. Well, that's I think what transhumanism is all about. Yeah. Well, anyway. Um... We're, our vocabulary in the English language is far too limited. All we have is God, Jesus, angels, and demons. Oh, and the Holy Spirit. There's much more in that spiritual realm than angels and demons. Angel is just a God description, job description, excuse me. Uh, and even humans can be angels. It just means messenger. Right, right, totally. But there, you've got the sons of God or watchers. Mm -hmm. Enoch, they're watchers. In Genesis, they're sons of God. The rock people, right? They're um, 
there's spirit beings who can take human form oh, and the, come down yeah. and uh, make whoopee with human women because they're so beautiful. Aren't, don't they, aren't they called like egregory? The Agori or something. I thought there was like an, not like an Egregore, but there was a class of. Elohim in Hebrew. Elohim, yeah. That's what I'm God. Mm. Sometimes they're just called Elohim. So those might be different from Beneha Elohim. God is sometimes called Elohim. But we never but these see other him. Elohim are not God. They're little G gods. Mm-hmm. The Egregoy or Egregoy, that sounds right. Egregoy, thank you, NPC. I was close. Uh, that's yeah. Anyway, I haven't seen Prometheus the movie, Way of the Crucible. It's it's okay. Well, in Greek myth, Prometheus made human beings from clay right the gall that isn't this the golem experience oh no they were real people there's several different myths about humans being created after the flood wiped out most of us uh, so do you think there's a, a reset coming another one I not, I'm not ready to reset. I don't think anyone is. Well, maybe the government is. Under, <laughs> underground somewhere. But um, these um, offspring of angels and human women, when they died, they had their spirits had no place to go. They had no place in heaven, and they didn't have to go to uh, hell, which, by the way, is not necessarily a place of punishment. It's just where dead spirits go. They they were stuck on the earth. And they remembered things like sex and food. And they couldn't, they would feel hunger and thirst, but they didn't have bodies, so they couldn't uh, do anything about it. So they'd try to get into a, uh, human in order to enjoy those things again doesn't sound too terrible until you realize that they were sick twisted puppies yeah and i would the longer they stayed there the more crazy they got but it was their i my opinion is it was their attachment to the material that kept them there keeps them there in greek myth you know uh, Achilles died in the Trojan War, mm -hmm. and he went to Hades. But hey, we hey, call it Hell, the... Uh, Sheol in Hebrew. I called it Sheol. Well, the um, other Greek warriors needed to talk to Achilles, so they went to the Gates of Hell, which is a real place. It's a cave in Greece. And he said he wasn't being punished. He was a big hero in, in Hades, but he was just a shade, just a shadow, and it was boring. And 
he said he'd rather be a dirt farmer on the earth than a king in hell. <laughs> kind of the opposite of what John Milton has Satan saying. Satan says, I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Right. Right. The, the, uh, the, whatever I was going to say. Oh, the, the Hades always seemed to me more like a, a memory hole for the gods. I could just get rid of somebody for a while and to bring them back. Yeah. I don't know. It's the idea of a land of the dead is found in many cultures. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a pervasive thing. Do you follow uh, Crow Triple Seven? Crow Triple Seven? You don't. It's a YouTuber person. He has some interesting mm. breakdown of mythology on his his podcast. Stuff I never heard of. It was great. He's got good good content. Yeah. I've been planning to get into Greek myth, but. Uh... I mostly focus on the Bible because people who criticize it aren't talking about what the Bible says. They're really criticizing John Milton and William Blake. Yeah, yeah. Blake really was a, a biblical scholar, but a lot of his work is from uh, works that his, his information comes from works that are not in the Bible like apocrypha and pseudo epigraphs and just plain secular writing. I suspect that William Blake must have been having visions too. But a great deal of what he did was social commentary like um, the chimney sweep in london the sweeps would go around looking for work saying sweep sweep and in his poem william blake had them saying weep weep mm -hmm. they had to have children do, do the work because you had to be small enough to get up inside the chimney and brush it He was commenting on child labor. Well, what do you think about the idea of humans as we know them now, Homo sapiens sapien, uh, having been altered or created to just be vessels for for other things? Like, so for soul jumping or housing of whatever the soul is or, um, or, you know, however people want to wrap it, demonic entities that really were just meat vessels. Mm, I think we're more than that, but we have been damaged. Our DNA has been messed with and it's damaged. We are... I don't really believe in evolution in the sense of speciation where um, apes and humans came from a common ancestor. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that we adapt to our environment. That has been demonstrated. 
Yeah. Oh, definitely. And we are terribly poorly adapted to life on this planet. At least on the surface. (laughs) Uh, Well, we need the sunshine. Either we came from some other planet or we were damaged genetically or both. Well, do you think, so with this whole idea, do you think there's, especially nowadays with all this talk of like NPCs and all of that, if you're familiar with that. Oh, uh, no. Oswald just called me an alien. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> do you think that there's some, so what about the, okay, so talking in this kind of, from your reference here, 144,000, or I don't even know where the O's stop, uh, souls. Are there soulless vessels out there, Tessa? Are there some of us that are sold, and that's why we notice a difference in filler people in the world or, or strangeness or see uh, this phenomena called possession? I think that it's true what they say. The devil cannot come in uninvited. You know, they say curiosity killed the cat. Well, some people are too curious for their own good. Yeah. They invite something in that is best kept out. Oh, Mod Wiz is here. Hello, Radagas. I'm not in the chat, so I don't see who's there, but I love Radagas, a.k.a. Mod Wiz. Yeah. What was his other name? His real name's Radagast. That's, that's his real name. We don't, oh, boy. we don't know his slave name. Yeah, well. Anyway. Um, yeah, and of course, um, Oswald is here, and I saw um, I something beanie. Groovy bean. <laughs> Groovy bean was here. Oh, Yvonne. Hello, Yvonne. Yeah, left. great. And Lee. So Lee. Lee, Lee. He's been on Nux Mente. Mm-hmm. Lovely here. Yeah, well, they also listen to some other shows that I listen to. Yeah, it's a, you know, these circles are rather small in the end. You said something earlier, Tessa, that was provocative to me. And I don't know if I, I need clarity on it because I I don't know if you're talking about Phil or not, but it was when you mentioned suicided. Was that about Phil? Yeah. So give us himself and he almost did. And who, who's the they? Well, two men in black suits. This oh, this was, was the British Columbia thing, right? Uh, 1972, around February or, yeah, February 1972, before I met him. Now, this was before all the men in black stuff, but he thought they looked like FBI. 
But I suspect they were DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency, because of the connection to Dr. Timothy Leary. Yeah, but don't you think that not only DEA was on Leary, but there, I think that other deep programs were interested in Dr. Leary that go maybe below DEA. I think because he was influencing culture at this time. Wasn't Leary doing CIA work at that time, though? Right, which also fuels the idea that there were other deep agencies, deep state agencies, involved in all of that that was going on. I mean, we don't know. Yeah, but I really, really. think it was one of the MK programs, Artichoke or Often or. Well, it sounds like what happened to Phil was definitely MK. I mean, that kind of trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it worked for a while. Yeah, Suzanne's saying he was CIA. I know he was CIA. Who was CIA? Uh, Leary. Timothy Leary. Uh, he was turned be probably after he got out of prison because he was... Probably got out of prison. He was told, you want to stay alive? <laughs> or state you, you want to stay in prison we'll make you an offer you can't refuse <laughs> so i want to bring up one more thing and then I, we're, we're going to wrap up i think um we i had asked you about uh phil's lecture or speech in france in 77 about oh, yeah. the, the matrix and i was curious about what your thoughts are on that speech and and you know, what do you think about that? Well, you know, the idea of the matrix is that where we live is not reality. And if we could just escape from Plato's cave and go out into the sunlight, we'd see the real world. And for a while, Phil, um adopted that idea but eventually he decided that that wasn't quite it oh man sorry i'm smelling skunk That's, somebody sparking a bowl there skunks. no no it's one of the little cute critters you know the <laughs> i know he smelly kitty cat i know they stink so that reminded me of another thing, too. So I lied he about that. He actually decided that wasn't quite it, that the world where we are is real, but our sense perceptions are faulty and we can't see it the way it really is. Yeah. Yeah, he's. I'd I... like to play with the idea that this is just a big old hologram produced by a computer. If I could just get into the source code, I could become rich and famous. I think that's what magic is. A great deal of magic is sleight of hand, but yeah. They're... Not sleight of hand magic, real ritual magic. Even uh, stage musicians will tell you that sometimes what happens was not a trick. Oh yeah, yeah. There's well, Daryl the magician talked about that in a few interviews. Yeah. 
So uh, I have one question about Phil. Did did his encounters with Vallis continue while you guys were married? Oh yeah, they yeah. continued to the end of his life. Any pertinent thoughts about that? What do you think that was all about? Well, he was in touch with something, perhaps his own unconscious mind. Mm -hmm. But I think there was something more, something outside of himself that was feeding him information. Accurate in information, right? For the most part. In the final analysis, the biggest enemy of entropy mm -hmm. is in information mm -hmm. and entropy of course is the winding down of everything like a an old-fashioned clock with a spring that you have to wind yep. it winds down completely it's the end of everything oh man several people in the chat want to know about this other Philip said he was in regular interaction with. Oh, his doppelganger. Yes. What well, do you have to say about that? Madfinger says it's a female entity. That would be Sophia, God's holy wisdom. He often equated Sophia with the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, or with... Um, Passages kind of sprinkled throughout the Bible in which God created the heavens and the earth through wisdom. And of course, that brings us to the first chapter of John's Gospel, the Word, the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God. And everything that was, I'm paraphrasing now, everything that was made was made through the Logos. Logos, I'm... Through the spoken word, right? It was a frequency thing. Properly, Logos. It's more than word. The Greek word for word is lexi, like lexicon, mm -hmm. the fancy word for a dictionary. Mm -hmm. Logos is more than word. We don't really have an equivalent, but it's equated with Jesus in John's gospel. It's rational thought, and even more than that. And the Logos seems to be alive. And it can take the form of Christ or the form of the Holy Spirit. Is that an individuated portion of it or the entire thing? I'm sorry. I was reading a chat. No, it's okay. Quest. I was too. No, the question was um, the Logos. Uh, does it incarnate as an individuated portion of itself or the entirety of it? Mm, I don't know. I really don't know. No, I don't know. The other side of that is the Maya, right? The the visual portion. Veil. Mm. Yeah, I think the Logos reveals the truth and the veil of Maya obscures it. Right. Now, um, the Holy Spirit NPC came at Pentecost 
after Jesus rose uh, for the last time, you know, death, resurrection, uh, meeting with the apostles, and then being translated into heaven so that the spirit could come. Apparently, the spirit couldn't come while Jesus was here. So it kind of tells me they're the same person. How does that all tie into the concept of the indwelling spirit? Well, that's... That's it, isn't it? It, Yeah. And what many people don't realize, and this applies to demons as well as the Holy Spirit, they can inhabit more than one person at a time. So the ending of that movie, The Exorcist, where the the priest says, take me, and jumps out the window. That didn't save the little girl. <laughs> a demon can inhabit dozens of people all at once. This is my problem with demon possession is when when the possessed, alleged possessed people exhibit telekinetic powers. And the person who was possessed didn't have those powers or can't afterwards. One of the keys in all this is you have to know the real name. Apparently, knowing the name gives you power over a spirit. And for that reason, we don't know God's name. All we have is titles. Even Yahweh or Jehovah is not his name. Bingo. Even a male, he's neither male nor female, and he's both at the same time. Yeah, the sacred androgynous. It's a big deal, and I think people lose sight of this in the whole conversation about all of it, Mm -hmm. is is understanding the name aspect. Because then you have, this is a golden key. The name is a golden key, and it unlocks a bigger code here. And the early Christians all had secret Christian names. Yes. Well, this is a, a, around a lot of religious practices and mystery schools, even the whole idea of frauder, you know, you, you, the, this is a big deal. And it's, like I said, it's really overlooked by people that are not following through with understanding these concepts. My, my, I just wanted to say my point was that this person, I, that that people may have this ability, but it's not clicked on until something else does it for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's one of those things that may have been turned off in our genes. You want to be careful which doors you open. They're I'm, not, I'm not all good. Any, I'm not opening any doors. I was just saying in general. Yeah. It's popular these days. <laughs> It's like Cheerios these days, like add water and stir a cultist. And, uh, you know, and I mean this from every perspective, from the Christian occultist all the way to the left hand. And so it seems like everyone's just stumbling around evoking and invoking uh, demons and angels without really understanding the golden key of I shall know you by thy true name first and then the idea of commanding uh 
something that they actually don't know thy real name if they're getting that the shimham sharash and i mean there's just so much here and there's so much folly <clears throat> pardon my voice so much folly in this current explosion of open occultism from right hand to left hand all the way across the board Wow. Well, oh. Oh, we were talking about September twenty third. Seven year abolishment of death. Yeah. And uh, there was a jubilee ancient though. Israel, the jubilee was every forty nine years. So you wouldn't want to lend any money a year before the jubilee right yes exactly all right it's a good we place to jubilee right. we do need a jubilee i don't think we're going to get one anyway the banks lend us money they don't have right and make money off oh, of it is this a shmita yeah there was like That's a side conversation in chat i Oh, see, I'm not in chat. You guys I know, know this. I know, I know. Okay. It didn't concern you, Nish. I'm kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wondered what was going on. I thought I was like, wait, we're we're talking about this over here. We're talking These about These are not the droids you're looking These for. Are not the droids. Anyway, it's been a pleasure speaking with you tonight, Tessa. Is there uh, any anything you want to plug for people who are listening? Well, I have all these books. Uh, you can find them just about anywhere, but I get the most money from Amazon. And do they type in just Tessa B. Dick? Well, they will probably come up with a long list of books that mention me as well as my own books. But if you enter Tessa Dick Firebright, you'll get my book. Philip K. Dick, Remembering Firebright. And where my name is as the author, you'll notice that it's actually a link. And if you click on my name, you get my author page. And some wonderful person has just entered that link. That was me. Into chat. I thought it might be Jerry. And we'll get it in the show notes. Yeah, too. absolutely. This, that's a fantastic way for people to help you out. You also have uh, GoFundMe, which I posted on my personal Twitter. You have it on your Twitter as well. And we'll have it in the show notes and all that. So anyone that can uh, help. I, I think buying books is the best way to help people out, especially when they're well-written, good books. On Kindle only is a little tiny short preview edition of my work in progress the x in exegesis mm. yes yes <laughs> because it's just uh, maybe 20 maybe 20 pages not sure but it's a, a a quick look at what i'm working on now have you been we didn't even touch on that today have you been following the dark well, journalist stuff on exegesis which was Bill's huge exploration of his visions. Um, Have you been following the dark journalists? Uh, 
investigation of the X factor? X, what do you call it? Yeah, I've, I've the X stuff. listened to quite a few of them. I just kind of um, got busy researching and writing, so I haven't listened recently. But, no, I was uh, just wondering if there was a similar. Blavatsky and yeah. the, um, the Hooked F and all that, or X, yeah. The hooked X, yeah. Well, very cool, yeah. very cool. Well, great. It's been a pleasure speaking with you tonight. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Nish. Thank you, listeners. Everything to say, lady? Are you talking to me, Jerry? Yeah. Yeah, I just want to, Tessa, thank you so much. And I just want to let people know that uh, you're out there and I'm just, I'm really behind you. I want, I want to get you, people don't realize how close to the bone you're living and it's a crying shame. You've got great books out there and so much information. So anyone that can help out, you know, show some love for this great lady. And uh, he wants to know if I'm related. <laughs> yeah, this is the first ten married to him. Yes, Tessa was actually married to Philip K. I Dick think he people. was being facetious. <laughs> I hope he was being facetious. I hope so too. <laughs> they had a son together. So thank you, Tessa. This was a great pleasure. I'm so, so glad you came on and uh, keep us informed. We'll have you back on when you get the new book out. We'll, let's talk about that in yeah, depth. Yeah, for sure. Oh boy. It's very academic and dense, but We'll read it first. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll read it and then we'll talk about it in an academic and dense way. <laughs> okay, Great. and then we can dip into Radio Free Album with. Yes. Yes. I'd yes. Love to. That's great. Great. great <laughs> All right. Take care, everybody. Have a great night. Uh, be sure to tune in next week. We have um, Heather Taddy is our guest on Noximente, and she was on Paranormal State. I think it was on the A and E and on Sci-Fi's Alien Highway last year. Pretty good show. She's very cool. And I can't wait. Have a good one. Thank you, everyone.